So as we think about the idea of finding meaning and purpose in life, we've been uh, looking at different values that help us find that sense of meaning. One of the things that we looked at last week is this having a purpose. What is my purpose? Why am I here? You know, what is the ultimate good in God's life? Today, I want to talk to you about the idea of just having a general sense of satisfaction with how you live and what goes on in our life. And satisfaction is a, is a big word. And so the question I want to bring to you this morning and I want you to think about is, are you satisfied? Are you truly satisfied in this life? You know, there's a tension there. I was talking to my neighbor across the street just about this idea of contentment. And he turns around and he sits back on that idea and he says, nobody really wants contentment. And he says, because think about it, being content is you just sit around and you're happy with what you have and you really have no passion to drive in your life. And we get to think, well, God wants us to have both, right? God wants us to have this passion, this drive, this direction in our life where we, we want to know him, we want to be a part of his plan in some way to get to us to be content. It's almost like the two are running in the opposite direction. And so how do we find contentment in our pursuit of whatever it is that God has for us? How do we find satisfaction? Well, I think it comes out of understanding that the word satisfied actually has two different meanings. The word satisfied actually has this meaning of being fulfilled, finding fulfillment, and it also has this idea of being paid off to satisfy a debt. And so maybe a deeper question for us to ask today, maybe a deeper question for us to think about each and every day is, am I living to find fulfillment or to be paid off? Are we living to find fulfillment? Are we living to be clear? Are we looking at life as something that can have tremendous meaning and, and, and satisfaction in it? Are we looking at life having to satisfy us? That somehow we're only just something that's hard to see. And see, Solomon wrestled with this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Again, this was a guy that had everything. He was, he was rich. He was a ruler over the kingdom of Israel. He had wisdom. So he had everything that would define success. And he's wrestling with these huge questions of meaning and satisfaction. And see, what did we, we come to the point where we realize that we are being living from fulfillment or being paid off? Where did we end up comes down to something that he didn't understand. There were three truths that he wrestled with, and so where we end up depends on our understanding of the same three truths. And the first one I'm going to give to you is this. Do we understand what Jesus offers? We see this in verse 24 in the Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his soul. This also I saw in front of him of God. Think about that for a second. He's like, Do we really understand what God offers, what Jesus offers? And he came to this conclusion in this pursuit. That he said, there's nothing better in life, there's nothing better, there's, there's no greater achievement for a person than they should eat and drink and find enjoyment. Think about that for a second. Enjoyment in his work, his efforts. And then we realize this enjoyment in how we live our lives and what we spend our energy doing is wonderful. So think about that for a second. When you think about God, does the word enjoyment come to mind? I mean, truly honest. Like, when you're wrestling with God's will, you have a crazy country, and you've got this opportunity, and you're really excited about it, and then it's like, 
God, you know, I just want your will, and you're thinking, oh man, your will is not what I want, is it? You ever have prayers like that? You're thinking, oh man, God's not going to give me that, and you have this pretense, this undefined, God will give me something better, and you're like, no, wait, God. And I'm not sure I want to go for the mystery curtain to find out what you have and whether it's really better. For most of us, we doubt the generosity of the goodness of God. And I think it comes down to the message that we understand and the voice that we read in Scripture. See, we don't see that God redeems us for this incredible gift, right? We don't see a God who is a loving Father over His children and desperately desires to be meaningful and 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 partner life, and He wants to bring good things to their life. We see the rules of restrictions. God's taking away desires that offering us well something less than we truly. And I think part of it comes down to what we reduce Christianity to. We sit in rows, we do our time, we serve, we do these things, and hopefully God will bless us. For some, it's a very real dynamic. And then when God asks us to do something, it's a man is just totally going to stay on that comfort zone and I'm not going to be. But there's a few things I want you to understand that we see in this verse. The first thing that we see is that God wants to satisfy us. God wants to satisfy us. He tells the idea of enjoyment to his children. God desires for you to enjoy your underlying. That's what that verse is teaching. God desires for you to enjoy life. I don't know if you thought about that idea or not, but it's the idea that God wants to fill your life, to bring fulfillment, to bring joy. I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life and you might have a benefit. It's an overwhelming sense of joy. It's this overflowing expression of satisfaction in your life. Jesus came not just to satisfy, but to overflow your life with satisfaction. And so everything that he does in your life is for your good and ultimately for his glory. And in that relationship, God is trying to fill your life with enjoyment, with pleasure, if you will. The other thing I want you to see in this verse is that God wants to provide that for you. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to have uh, this incredible life of joy and enjoyment. Good luck finding that. No, it says it comes from his hands. He wants to give it to you. He wants to provide it. God wants to directly give that to you. And the third thing that we can see in this verse, it really just puts an exclamation point on it, is that God doesn't just want to send you the gift. He attaches those gifts to his presence. He attaches the enjoyment and the efforts of your life to his everyday presence in your life. And this is what God wants to do. The question is, how often do we experience it? And if you don't experience it very often, the question is, why? And I think it's very clear. We have a hard time wrapping ourselves up in this we're just too busy to see this if you will. Too busy in the search, too busy in the pursuit, too busy in the activity to find 
And we saw that time that we spent with God, those 30 second stories when we first realized that those five, ten, fifteen minutes in the Bible as an opportunity for us to understand the good heart of our Father, who consistently tells us, like He's an earthly Father, that you could give how much more would your Holy Father in heaven be to you? The only anticipation of spending time with God is to learn the goodness and the goodness of God. And to immerse ourselves in His presence and to walk in our Father each and every day. This is why it's important for us to understand walking with the Spirit. That's how the Bible talks about this. Because to go about our life, to go about our activities, to go about our daily to put the effort into our works, the plan to walk with the Spirit each and every day. Why? Because it's there that we finally get the remedy that is attached to the presence of God. Do we understand? And then yet, do we really believe that God wants to spend the joy for us? The second truth that we need to understand to find a life of fulfillment is we need to understand what we study for. We study. We study at life. We look at things, we, we pursue things, we chase after things, and we think that we need to stand and we don't. Now, I'm going to talk to two groups of people here in the next few minutes. The first group of people I'm going to talk to are those of you that are professing believers in Jesus Christ, that have a relationship with Jesus. But this does not apply. This does not apply to those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. And I want you to understand that if you're a believer in this room, you settle. And you settle in two ways. The first one is, is anything more than Jesus? We risk using a salvation. Listen, we think that outside of God we can find a dream. We think we can make it better if we just put our hands to it. We can't do enough try hard enough. That will take our efforts and our desires and somehow sanctify and baptize them and bless them and get them to us. And oftentimes what happens is that we apply ourselves and we do this more and do more kind of harder kind of Christianity and we come up spiritually looking and burning. Instead of finding the enjoyment, instead of finding this abundant peace, this overflowing enjoyment in our daily lives, we don't, we, we walk away exhausted and spent. And oftentimes feeling different from God and what's around us. Where you see Solomon listed it is he knew who God was. He, he knew his, uh, his earthly father, David, and his walk with God. And here he is in his adult life trying to find meaning and purpose amongst all this stuff. And the first thing he says is in verse 2 1. He says, And I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vain. And so when he's looking around at life, he's like, there's got to be something more than what I know about God. There's got to be something more than this daily presence idea. There's got to be something more to find satisfaction, to be fulfilled in life. And he, he goes off and he starts to pursue pleasure. So, you know, it's been in the pleasure. like, you know, take yourself with every pleasure. Enjoy yourself. You can't lose it. Go for it. He goes on in verse 2 and 3. And he says, I set up laughter. It is not. He's like, I'm trying to do it, man. I'm going to fill my life with as much laughter as I can. And again, try to find this sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. And I'm going to do this. And it is mad 
and it's a pleasure. Anything that would be over the top, you know, in life and joy, I'm going to throw myself into it. Because when I'm going to I search with my heart how to steer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay full of fire so I don't see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven and in the people of life. So I turn my eyes like in, I can see it in the pleasure, I'm trying to leave some enjoying things, I'm immersing myself in laughter and happy environments and just bringing those positive vibes, and man, I'm trying to turn it man. Bring me the wine, we're going to have good cheer, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to pursue and try to find meaning and fulfillment in my everyday life and all my works and toils in these pursuits. It goes along, the most full of it just keeps going. It says, I have made great works. I have built houses and planted vineyards for myself. And it goes on. I have made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. He goes on to talk about in verse 7 that he brought male and female slaves. And they were brought into the house, and they also had great possessions and herds and flocks and more than any who had been before him. And he gathered silver and gold to talk about and stuff. Here's what's happening right like, now. I'm trying to keep building ever so sort of pleasant. This people was building an empire. I'm building houses. I'm building property. I'm building business. I have these herds. I have these vineyards. So much so I have to find gardens and pools to water these vineyards. This guy has an empire, a bulging business empire that he's immersed himself in. So much so that he's having to build infrastructure to support that business. And when we talk about having slaves in, in, in his life, not advocating slavery, but it turns out that he had somewhere between 20,000 and 30,000 men and women at his disposal to carry out his everyday life. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be done under the sun. How would you like to be one of the 20,000, 30,000 employees that built the engine and this was his conclusion? He started off early on as a young man with significant meaning. And if any of those things are bad, but earlier on in his life, he knew it could work. He loved the kingdom better. He had a healthy and spiritual life, and he had a marriage that was incredible. And this book of Solomon's Bible is something that was the first one. His love. The love of his life. And all of it got old to him. And we know that he went from one life to seven years long. What happened? He wanted something more than the very presence of God. And what happened was is he ended up using all of his things to try to fill the void in his life. Which one was that the other Spouses? Significant others? Are you using each other? Are you using each other for a sense of worth, meaning, significance, and glory? 
the reason why when it comes to the tribe who's satisfied you, you are usually. And I'm going to do it. It's almost as if they owe you something for all that you have done. There's no foundation for love that. There's no foundation for a fulfilling relationship. There's no foundation for enjoyment in that kind of relationship. Your significant other isn't being fulfilled in void in your life. Physically, emotionally, or See what was going on here is that someone was trying to fill a spiritual desire with the gift of God apart from the condition. And it left them empty. Viewers, are you living your life with the blessings of God that He's put in front of you and using them to try to find meaning to be paid off? If you are, you're using the blessing and you're missing the enjoyment because you have attached the gift of God. But that wasn't talking to him. He went down and he says, anything less than Jesus and he's confused. So we go from anything more Christian and then we go all the way down to less than Jesus. We'll turn away from him. It's like, man, God, I turned to you. I expect you to do great things. You didn't deliver any of them. I'm walking away from you. You kind of functionally check out on that. You go through your daily life with this knowledge of God, but then you're a part of the to God. You see this in verse 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Now, so we can read that verse as saying, wow, you know, I became awesome, I did these great things, but ultimately the tone of the passage is one of the pointless myths. And so what he's saying is, so I became great, so what? He said, God gave me all these things, so what? And he checks out, verse 10, he turns away and he says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them, and I kept my heart for no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all of my And this is reward for my He goes on to You know what he He turns away from everything that God has and he says, if my eyes see it, I'm going for it. My heart wants it, I'm throwing myself into it. I don't care where wisdom is, I don't care where God is. I'm just going to embrace myself. I'm checking out the door now. And he starts to pursue things that are unhealthy that are apart from God, and it begins to eat at his very soul. We see in verse 12 what this looks like. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can man do? Um, what can man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. And so he, he turns away from God, whatever my eyes desire. He says, I'm considering all forms of wisdom. I'm considering madness, just the complete philosophies of life. And I'm considering folly, sin, and everything that comes out. And so I consider, so he starts to turn inward. What do I think? How do I feel? What am I going to do with my life? He starts to turn inward. And it begins this really deep, dark journey into the abyss. He goes on in verse 13. And he thinks that he might be getting it. And his position says, Then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there was more gain in light than in darkness. He's beginning to get it. Maybe the light comes on. But then he continues to read and he comes to this conclusion in verse 15. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will also happen to me also. So whatever happens to the fool and the wise, What's the difference? He said, and I 
heart, this is also vanity. And then he leaves his question, why have I been so very long? Why have I even responded to this? And what is it? It's darker and darker and darker. There's still more wealth, more possessions, more success, more women that just exponentially grow as many countries. See, we can try to achieve more than what God can give us, and we're using everyone in the world. We can try to pursue less than Jesus, his desires, his will, and his goodness, and we're find ourselves being abused, our desires are going to draw our decisions, we're going to end up in this addiction, classic addictive behavior. Whatever I desire, I achieve, and I think I'm in control because I still kept my wisdom. And we come to this conclusion, this big realization that anything apart from Jesus causes us to lose ourselves. And we see the biggest truth. Here's what it says. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under this time. He lived his life trying for more, trying for less than Jesus, living apart from Jesus, and it led him to despair, and he had it all. Right his head He had it all, and he felt despair. The pressure sets in. The sets in. Overwhelming sense of meaning This is where he finds himself. The third truth that he needs to understand as we continue our journey is do we understand what we worship? Do we understand what we worship? See, worship is two things. It's the idea of devoting ourselves to what we think is worthy. What we do is worthy is what we end up devoting ourselves to. This is worship. You were created to devote yourself to something that's worthy. It's insatiable within you. You will follow your life to things that you find worthy. You will always look outside of yourself for being a bit. You will always want to be a part of a bigger picture. You will always want to be connected to things that are transcendent because these are all things that are wrapped up in the heart of God. You're created in your image. You are wired to be this mirror that reflects greatness. And whatever you view as worthy of devoting your life to is what you worship. Whatever you do is worthy is whatever you're going to decide to worship. See, if you choose to worship yourself, then you're going to use and abuse the things that are around you. If you choose to worship God, like what we started off in verse 2 and 4, we start to get that truth, we're going to find this promise of God's enjoyment in our lives. And that comes down to do we see the things in our lives as objects? 
to give to the gift as we receive those things in our life as expressions of gratitude that we devote back to God and we devote ourselves to to bring good and great into our lives. So we all come down to worship. Let me say the context. Where do we get this? Look at chapter 2, verse 1 again. It says, I said in my heart, I will test you as pleasant. I said in laughter. I will search with my heart and have a cheer my body with a hymn. I made good works. I built houses. I appointed vineyards. I made myself fools. I brought males to my place. I have also great possessions of hers. I also gathered for myself silver and gold. I got tears and I fly between great. I worship myself. Over and over and over again. And I used and How different this passage would read if we understand, if we understood who was getting the first person. Look at it again. Look at it first. There is nothing better for a person. Nothing better. No better pursuit for a person. And those who can eat and drink and find enjoyment in this form, this also is from the Lord God. If you come back to this original truth, you truly understand that God wants to satisfy us. This would be so simple. Lord John would say something very simple to me. He said, I've tested myself with every good thing that God has given me. His goodness, I've tested myself to consume God's goodness. And he's just overflowing with God's goodness. He just down to verses 9 and 10 and says, I'm test myself to find what it means to find the enjoyment of God. I'm just going to jump in and see what it would look like. I'm not going to restrain myself. Whatever I see that God has that is good, whatever my heart desires that comes from God, I'm going to enjoy those things. I'm going to consume those things. I'm going to throw myself into those things. We jump down to verse 15. He says, I'm so glad that I remained wise, that I didn't jump track of the fools, that I didn't discover it all does have a point. We all don't end up in the same place. And in verse 20, when you talk about the scary, we flipped around and said, but I turned back and gave my heart to God. I turned and gave my heart to God, my expression of worship to God. And there I found that I could trust Him and that He truly satisfied me. His heart was no longer wrapped up in the despair and dread of life. Yeah, even a hopeful outlook. And it's all tied to this idea of what we devote ourselves to. What is worship? A little question. Are you living for fulfillment or get paid on that? What determines how I get there comes down to the answer to one question. Who am I worshiping?